Well, it looks like we developed COVID as a bioweapon here in the USA. Chelsea Clinton is coming for your kids. And we have other stories the media won't tell you, like the Nashville Transgender Murderers Manifesto and what the FBI is now saying about the Las Vegas mass shooter from way back in 2017, all in this special edition of the Doc Washburn Show. Welcome to the Voice of the Resistance with Doc Washburn. We're the show that pushes back against the Uniparty and the Deep State and lets you in on the news that traditional talk radio is all too often afraid to talk about. This is episode 380 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show for Monday, May 8th, 2023. This is a really different kind of talk show. We're unmasked, uncensored, and unfiltered. If you'd like to support what we do, go to our website, docwashburn.com. Click on the button that says Become a Patron. Also, please remember to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode. And make sure you check out our new conservative sports podcast, Red Pill Sports, with my friend Donnie Copeland, which drops Tuesday evenings at 11 p.m. Central. First of all, I remember when people would call my talk radio show way back when I had a talk radio show, and say that our government had developed COVID-19 in North Carolina and then transferred it over to Wuhan, China, and I thought they were crazy because I had no idea what they were talking about. And now, lo and behold, all these years later, I discovered Dr. David Martin explaining and confirming what people were trying to tell me way back when. That audio is coming right up. So who is this guy? Well, his website says, Dr. David E. Martin is the founder and chairman of MCAM Incorporated, the international leader in innovation finance, trade, and intangible asset finance. He's the developer of the first innovation-based quantitative index of public equities, and is the managing partner of the Purple Bridge Funds. He's the creator of the world's first quantitative public equity index, the CNBC IQ100, powered by MCAM, and he's actively engaged in global ethical economic development. Well, that's all well and good. I mean, that sounds intriguing. But what interests me about Dr. David Martin is the late, great Dr. Zev Zelenko, one of the major frontline doctors advocating early treatment for COVID, thought very highly of Dr. Martin. So hold on to something, because if what I'm about to play you is true, this is a bombshell. A very alarming patent uh, was applied for by UNC Chapel Hill in 2002. And just to make sure your viewers and your listeners remember, SARS, as what we call SARS, didn't exist then. We didn't have SARS until the winter of 2002 going into the spring of 2003. That's SARS 1.0. But in the spring of 2002, the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill filed a patent on what was called an infectious replication defective clone of coronavirus. Now, let's unpack that sentence. Infectious replication defective. What does that mean? That means it's not coming from nature. It means that we're building a thing that is supposed to target human cells. And we're going to build it in such a way that we can put a switch inside of that thing to activate, to harm the human cell. 
And what human cells were being targeted? Well, heart and lung. If you go back to 1990, when Pfizer filed its first patent on the first coronavirus vaccine, that vaccine was for dogs and pigs. Because it used to be that coronavirus infection was a gastrointestinal problem. But in 2002, after a decade of work, Ralph Barrick at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, figured out how to make what was called an infectious replication defective clone. And that was the tool that was going to be used by Anthony Fauci, funded by his organization, NIAID. That was going to be the gain-of-function tool that was going to then be the envelope into which we would insert mRNA, which would then activate a infection and harm to the cell that's being targeted. And when that particular patent was filed in 2002, I knew that we had a problem because when you announce to the world that you have taken a pathogen that was allegedly a problem for dogs and pigs and you now make it a targeted pathogen for humans, and not just any old human, it's not just a gastrointestinal version of this, this was specifically optimized to go after heart and lung tissue. That's a weapon. That's not an interesting study. That is actually the development of a weapon. And and then you use the term infectious replication defective. That's even more the admission that that's a targeted thing because the way we think of the viral model is that I get sick and then I pass the sickness on to you. Remember when we were kids, people had chicken pox parties where everybody got chicken pox, right? These ideas that these things get infected, then we infect other people. This was to build a weapon to target an individual. And that was filed in 2002 before we ever had SARS. My contention has been and remains that we invented the weapon that became SARS, that that never came from an animal, never came from some sort of transfection across or transmutation from a zoonotic source. This was humans building a weapon where we were turning biology against humanity. Okay, now remember when he talks about SARS, COVID-19 is the nickname, the short name for SARS-CoV-2. Now, when I hear these words from Dr. David Martin, I'm reminded of some lyrics written by the great songwriter Don McLean who once said, now I understand what you tried to say to me. And I think back to those people who used to call my radio talk show talking about, well, we, we developed it in North Carolina, don't you see? And then we transferred it over to Wuhan, China. And I just thought, what, what are you guys talking about? I mean, I, I had no frame of reference for what they were talking about. But now I do. And I'm also reminded of what our Lord said in the 12th chapter of the Gospel according to Luke. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light. And what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed in the housetops. Now, I hope that applies to our current struggle with Big Pharma and the Deep State. By the way, thank you to the Kim Iverson Show for making that audio 
available. But hold on, because Dr. Fauci himself is about to unwittingly confirm what you just heard in one of his arguments with Senator and Dr. Rand Paul. Senator Paul, with all due respect, you are entirely and completely incorrect that the NIH has not ever and does not now fund gain-of-function research in the Wuhan Institute Do they fund Dr. Barrick? We do not fund... Do you fund gain, Dr. Barrick's gain-of-function research? D- Dr. Barrett does not doing gain-of-function research, and if it is, it's according to the guidelines, and it is being conducted in North Carolina. So Dr. Barrick doesn't do gain-of-function research, but if he does do gain-of-function research... Is according to the guidelines that is being done in North Carolina. Which is it, Tony? Does he not do it? Or does he do it in North Carolina? Which is it, Tony? Man, this guy. This guy lied a lot. And I I think, you know, my humble opinion, and you're entitled to it, he's responsible for a lot of death. A lot of death. So, I mean, what else do you need? But I know, I know, I know. Will anyone ever be held accountable? Maybe not on this earth. But we will all have to stand before the Lord and give an account for what we have done here. In the meantime, I sure wish Donald Trump would stop bragging about how wonderful the vaccines are. I mean, look, he did a lot of wonderful things for this country. But I wish someone would clue him in on the whole died suddenly phenomenon. We all make mistakes. It takes a big man to admit it. I hope he will. Speaking of vaccines, that brings us to Chelsea Clinton. Okay, do you remember when Fortune magazine used to be pro-capitalism? My dad used to get it when I was a little kid. and It was all about how you could work harder and make money. Invest wisely, that kind of thing. Apparently not anymore. Now, before we get to the audio of what Chelsea Clinton recently said about coming after your kids, let's set the stage by sharing with you just a little bit of what Fortune Magazine said recently about Chelsea Clinton. Oh, and by the way, the Fortune Magazine article we quote from is brought to you by CVS Health. Hey, uh, speaking of which, does CVS, the drugstore, they still sell vaccine shots? Yeah, I thought so. Anyway, Fortune says Chelsea Clinton, through her family's health nonprofit, is working alongside the likes of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, the World Health Organization, WHO, and UNICEF in what she hopes will become the largest childhood immunization effort ever. The former first daughter serves as vice chair of the Clinton Health Access Initiative, otherwise known as CHI, a global health organization that aims to save lives and reduce disease burden in low- and middle-income countries. Since the pandemic began, millions of children around the globe have missed some or all 
of their essential vaccines. 25 million during 2021 alone, according to the WHO. That's why CHI and like-minded organizations will be working with the WHO to bridge the gap in an effort dubbed the Big Catch-Up. At least that's what Chelsea Clinton said recently at Fortune's Brainstorm Health Conference in Marina del Rey, California. So, next we go to audio of Chelsea from this event. Now, the video also says GE Healthcare and City of Hope on it, right, on the video. So, GE Healthcare is an American multinational medical technology company that was spun off from General Electric from General Electric in January of this year. And it's a huge company, very involved in making money related to COVID. Whereas City of Hope is a large medical center complex in L.A. And looky here. There's a press release from November 9th, 2021. Geovax and City of Hope announce agreement to accelerate development and commercialization for City of Hope's COVID-19 vaccine. Okay, wait, 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 wait. City of Hope's COVID vaccine? I knew about Pfizer. I knew about Moderna. I knew about Johnson & Johnson. I even knew about AstraZeneca. But did you have any idea a hospital in L.A. called City of Hope has been working on developing their own COVID vaccine for over a year and a half now? Oh, wait a minute. City of Hope is a nonprofit, but they're going to commercialize their COVID-19 vaccine. How does that work? Yeah, everybody wants to sponsor a Chelsea Clinton conference. They can smell the money a mile away. All right. Here she is. I do think, though, you know, when you ask about the role of public-private partnerships kind of uh, after the last few years, I think we spend so much time, understandably, uh, focused on the mRNA vaccines and technologies. I spend a lot of time thinking about um, the really uh, unfortunate, to try to use a not uh, too judgmental word, um, kind of rise in not only kind of vaccine hesitancy and questioning, but outright kind of Um, rejection of vaccines and of kind of science and the scientific kind of process and also too often on our scientists, our epidemiologists, our frontline healthcare workers. And so I do think um, we need to have a much more robust conversation um, and sense of urgency uh, because I think we are less prepared today than we were arguably um, in January of 2020, partly because of the kind of um, lack of, of trust and confidence in uh, in not only our scientists, um, but in, in science itself, um, and certainly in the public health professionals. And so I think we need kind of the public sector to hopefully stop doing things like stripping away public health emergency powers from state public health agencies. Okay, is it just me, or does it sound like she's trying to sound like a valley girl? I mean, what's she trying to do here? Go for a Pulitzer Prize for run-on sentences? Did you hear that? Right at the end of that word salad, She said she doesn't like the fact that state legislatures in some states have moved to protect you from state health departments telling you that you have to close your business, stay in your house, wear masks, and get the clot shot. Did you catch that? Because that is exactly what she is referring to 
when she says this. And so I think we need kind of the public sector to hopefully stop doing things like stripping away public health emergency powers from state public health agencies. Sorry, hon. We're done. But she's not. We also need the private sector to help candidly like do a better job of helping explain kind of the science um, that you are already commercializing and bringing to market, but also what you're working on and and help us kind of in the broader conversation um, not be uncomfortable with the discomfort of uncertainty. Um, and so I do think we need really good ideas for how best to do that, um, because we all deserve to hopefully not be as unprepared as I worry we are um, at the moment. And the last thing I'll say is a, a new effort that we're a part of uh, is the new initiative launched by the World Health Organization last week to try to catch kids up on their routine immunizations. In 2021 alone, more than 25 million kids under the age of one missed at least one routine immunization. And so we're working with WHO and the Gates Foundation and others uh, to hopefully have the largest uh, kind of childhood immunization effort ever over the next 18 months to catch as many kids up as possible um, because no one should die of polio or measles or pneumonia, including in this country where we also need people to be vaccinating their kids. By the way, hat tip to Chief Nerd over on Twitter for that video clip of Chelsea. So she's working with the World Health Organization and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation to get as many little kids as possible to catch up on their so-called routine vaccinations. Now, what happens if the CDC or the World Health Organization decides that COVID should be part of routine vaccinations? I mean, there is certainly publicly available research which shows that millions of parents no longer trust what were commonly thought of as routine vaccinations because the whole COVID era has destroyed our trust in the medical establishment and big pharma. So here comes Chelsea trying to help them figure out how to put the toothpaste back in the tube. And that is not going to work. So expect the government and big tech efforts to crack down on what they call misinformation, i.e. the truth, to continue. By the way, remember to pray for people like Elon Musk and Tucker Carlson. They are two men who believe in the free flow of information, and that is bad for business for big pharma. That also makes the deep state's job more difficult. So they want to shut them up and they want to shut others who are trying to do the same thing up. Please pray for their safety. Pray that God will grant them wisdom and pray that they won't give up. By the way, did I mention the Pfizer connection with the Clinton Foundation? That is coming right up. Now, if you've tried to buy a car recently, You realize you may have a hard time finding what you're looking for. People I know have actually bought vehicles from hundreds of miles away from where they live. That's where Red River Auto comes in. Red River Auto is a big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom, including the freedom to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV the way you want to. You can buy online, they'll drive it to you, no matter where you are. Red River Auto wants to make your car buying experience as easy and transparent as possible. Red River Auto Group has perfected the online buying process. 
Just go to RedRiverAuto.com, pick from hundreds of new and used vehicles. You can purchase a vehicle online if you have any questions. One of Red River's trained experts will help you through the whole process. Red River Auto makes car buying online easy. Your whole car buying process is completely transparent. If you want to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV, order online from the nationwide car dealer that believes in freedom. The dealer that will deliver your vehicle to your front door no matter where you live in the continental U.S., RedRiverAuto.com. You will be glad you did. Now, I want to tell you about the best-kept secret in American healthcare. Are you having problems with sinuses and allergies? Are you experiencing dizziness, vertigo, problems with your blood sugar, fibromyalgia, eczema, psoriasis, migraines? Well, the Arkansas Upper Cervical Center might be able to help you even if you don't live in Arkansas. Let me tell you how. Your skull weighs anywhere from 8 to 15 pounds. It rests on the top bone of your spinal column, the atlas, which only weighs 2 ounces. So it's really easy for your atlas to get out of alignment. If it does, your whole spinal column can get kinked up like a chain. When that happens, your central nervous system isn't able to communicate with the rest of your body as it's designed to do. Now, I had severe hay fever for five or six weeks every spring all my life and migraines year-round. When I got my atlas adjusted, the hay fever went away and it's never come back. The migraines went away too. Again, if you're suffering from sinus conditions, allergies, vertigo, problems with your blood sugar, fibromyalgia, eczema, psoriasis, even migraines, do yourself a favor. Call my friends at the Arkansas Upper Cervical Center, 501-279-2009, for a free consultation. They've helped me, my wife, and so many people we know. Please call them to see if they can help you. That number again for your free consultation, 501-279-2009. Now, if you're outside Central Arkansas, just go to their website, turnmypoweron.com, click on the tab that says Find a Doctor Near You, and I sure hope you can. Have you heard? AT&T recently lost billions of dollars on Wall Street after their satellite outfit, DirecTV, decided to delete Newsmax. Now, if you want to drop AT&T or any of the big liberal cell phone carriers, I have the perfect solution for you. Patriot Mobile is America's only Christian conservative wireless carrier. Now more than ever, it's important to band together and support companies that share our conservative values. Now, I know what you're thinking. Hey, Doc, I'd love to make the switch, but I'm afraid it'd be too complicated. It would take too long. Well, don't worry about that. Switching to Patriot Mobile usually only takes 15 to 20 minutes. Patriot Mobile donates a portion of every dollar earned to organizations that fight for causes you care about. Patriot Mobile has exceptional nationwide coverage and uses the same towers the main carriers use. And... Patriot Mobile guarantees your coverage. Patriot Mobile has plans to fit any budget, along with great discounts for our veteran and first responder heroes, as well as multi-line users. Now, I'm a multi-line user, and I know I'm saving a lot of money since I switched to Patriot Mobile. When you switch to Patriot Mobile, you're shifting your support from the leftist progressive agendas of Big Mobile to the Christian conservative causes of Patriot Mobile. When you become a Patriot Mobile member... Your dollars are helping to fund our God-given right to freedom. A portion of every dollar they earn is given back to the causes that support organizations 
that fight for First Amendment religious freedom, freedom of speech, Second Amendment right to bear arms, sanctity of life, and the needs of our veterans and first responders. Switching is easy. Just do what I did. Go to PatriotMobile.com or call their U.S.-based customer service team at 972-PATRIOT and make sure you use promo code DOC, that's D-O-C, for free activation. All right, now let's talk about the Pfizer connection with the Clinton Foundation before we get to what the FBI is saying about the Vegas shooter from 2017 or what's going on with the manifesto from the transgender Nashville mass shooter from back in March. Okay, way back in October 2016, dailywire.com had an article entitled The Clinton Foundation's Seven Worst Scandals. And in that article, I discovered this little gem. It says, Numerous companies donated to the Clinton Foundation and then lobbied the State Department when Hillary was Secretary of State with lobbyists who were connected to the Clintons. A report from the USA Today of all places poured through data from the Center for Responsive Politics and Financial Records to determine that at least a dozen of those same companies lobbied the State Department using lobbyists who doubled as major Clinton campaign fundraisers. These lobbyists even had a name if they raised at least $100,000 for Hillary's presidential campaign. They were called Hillblazers. Now, some of the companies that engaged in this practice included, you guessed it, Pfizer, one of the world's top biopharmaceutical companies, which also gave between $1 million and $5 million to the Clinton Foundation while lobbying for such issues as intellectual property rights overseas and issues related to medicines in Turkey and India. Now, notice USA Today didn't say Pfizer was one of the world's top pharmaceutical companies. No, no. They said Pfizer was one of the world's top biopharmaceutical companies. Now, remember, that was over three years before COVID was even on our radar screen. Pfizer's been around a long time. They've been doing bad things for a long time. Now, this Daily Wire article from 2016 also says Pfizer hired Aiken, Gump, Strauss, Hauer, and Feld, a law firm, to lobby the State Department for issues relating for, for issues relating to intellectual property protections in the Trans-Pacific Partnership Agreement. One of the law firm's representatives, Brian Pomper, became a key fundraiser for Hillary Clinton's 2016 presidential campaign. Gee, I wonder why... He, Chelsea Clinton is trying to help Pfizer move vaccines so much. Don't tell me. Don't tell me. It's on the tip of my tongue. I just I just can't quite say it. Okay, here's another story I'll bet you haven't heard anything about. Did you know the FBI released a lot of information recently on the Las Vegas mass shooter from October 2017? Oh, yeah. Vegas TV station KLAS has an article from March 31st of this year. And I'll bet you haven't heard 
one word about it. The title of the article, FBI Documents Reveal Details About Las Vegas Mass Shooter, Including Possible Motive That Led to 60 People Dying. Subtitle, FBI Metro Statement, Do Not Believe They Will Shed New Light in the Case. Well, y'all, which, which one is it? Okay, let's dig into this. The author of the article is Caroline Bleakley. It was posted March 30th, updated March 31st, 2023. And it reads as follows. Dateline Las Vegas, KLAS. More than five years after a mass shooting at a country music concert in Las Vegas, the FBI released more details on the shooter in two heavily redacted reports totaling 630 pages. Although the documents were recently released under the Freedom of Information Act, they are from the original investigation. Oh, so they're not still investigating? Inquiring minds want to know. Links to the, but I digress. Links to the documents are provided at the bottom of this story. Heavily armed, 64-year-old Stephen Paddock shot more than a 1,000 rounds from a Mandalay Bay hotel room at the Route 91 Harvest Festival concert goers on October 1st, 2017, killing 58 and injuring hundreds. Two additional victims died as a result of their injuries at a later time. Since then, no clear motive for the attack has ever been established, but the documents reveal some insight into Paddock's personality and his interactions with people. According to the FBI documents, Paddock was very upset about the way casinos were treating him and other high rollers. A gambler who knew Paddock told the FBI he believed the stress over that treatment could easily be what caused Paddock to snap. The gambler, whose name was redacted from the document, told the FBI that in recent years, casinos used to give high rollers like Paddock free cruises, airline flights, penthouse suites, and other perks, but in recent years had cut back on those. Thursday afternoon, the FBI and Las Vegas Metropolitan Police released the following statement pertaining to the FBI documents. Quote, The LVMPD, that's Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department, and the FBI conducted a joint investigation of the one October shooting. At the conclusion of that investigation in 2018, we were unable to determine a motive for the shooter. Speculating on a motive causes more harm to the hundreds of people who were victims that night. The FBI documents that were released as part of a Freedom of Information Act request are from the original investigation. We do not believe they will shed new light in the case, unquote. See, a lot of us have a real problem with the idea that the FBI doesn't know more than they led on to. Okay, I'm just, 
I'm just saying that. I don't think I'm breaking news by saying that a lot of us are very skeptical about the whole investigation into this thing. But I digress. Back to the article. The FBI documents reveal Paddock was described as a prolific gambler who would gamble six to eight hours at a time, sometimes as long as 18 hours, and he typically played video poker. Paddock visited the Tropicana Las Vegas every three months on average, and the FBI learned through gaming records and an employee interview that during his stay in mid-September 2017, he lost $38,000. He was in a room facing south and asked if he could reserve a different room for the time frame of the shooting, but that room wasn't available. FBI agents interviewed numerous people who came into contact with Paddock in the days prior to the shooting or people who knew him. One told the FBI that Paddock was fascinated with the two Oklahoma City bombers and thought Adolf Hitler was a good man. Huh, I wonder if that one guy who said that was maybe an FBI agent himself. I I don't know. I'm just throwing that out there, because you never know. I don't think there's going to be a congressional investigation into this, and somebody asking an assistant FBI director, hey, hey, were any of those people quoted uh, federal assets? Uh, I can't comment on that under oath, Senator. I don't think it's going to happen. Anyway, uh, that person said he did not take Paddock's viewpoint seriously until May 17, 2017. The FBI redacted the information on what changed that person's opinion of Paddock because, of course, they did. May 17, 2017. Oh, let's see. June, July, August, September. Yeah, that would have been four and a half months before the mass shooting on October 1st. But we got to redact what changed that witness's impression of Paddock. Another person interviewed, likely a neighbor who lived near Paddock in Mesquite, Nevada, told investigators Paddock was very strange and lights were never on in his house except during the middle of the night. The woman added that Paddock was never seen outside, and always wore gloves. Now, how do you know he always wears gloves if you never saw him outside? Who knows? She said when she went to shake his hand upon meeting him, he refused to shake. The documents said Paddock told the woman he wanted a solid screen fence around his home because he did not want anyone to see him or look at him. So how did she see him or look at him? Well, they're not going to tell us. Investigators learned that Paddock acquired his wealth by selling apartment complexes in Texas and Los Los Angeles, and he also had worked for the U.S. Postal Service and the IRS. How about that? So you make enough money working uh, for the U.S. Postal Service and or the IRS to buy apartment complexes in the first place before you make your money selling them? Anyway, what was he, skimming off the top of the IRS? I'm just throwing it out there. Anyway, the FBI, I digress again. The FBI found the sale of a complex in Texas in 2012 
pay for dozens of weapons used in the shooting. The documents also list all the evidence collected in the cases, literally hundreds of items, including 24 guns and numerous bump stocks from his Mandalay Bay hotel room and 18 more guns from his home in Mesquite, Nevada. And it says you can read both FBI documents and the two links provided below. FBI document on Stephen Paddock interviews Paddock's movements before shooting gambling records. And FBI document on Stephen Paddock evidence in hotel room fingerprints tips to the FBI. And they wrap up the article here saying the October 2017 mass shooting was the deadliest in modern U.S. history. There were 60 people killed and more than 850 injured. And we're just supposed to take it on faith that the um, the FBI and the Las Vegas Metro Police Department, the chief of which I think just got elected uh, governor of Nevada last November, neither one knew what the motive was. Well, the mass shooting. Now, see, I got I got kind of a problem with that. I really do. See, I read this article and I see nothing about why Stephen Paddock wired a lot of money to his girlfriend in the Philippines a few days before the shooting. I see nothing about how the security guard in the hallway outside the room who was supposedly wounded in the leg, was able to drive from Vegas all the way to Mexico and back just days after being shot in the leg. How do you do that? Nothing about why the same security guard canceled a lot of media interviews at the last minute, interviews he had agreed to, and instead did one very softball interview with Ellen DeGeneres who publicly said, this is going to be your only interview ever about this. Ellen DeGeneres, who had a substantial financial connection with a company who owned the hotel in Vegas where the shooting happened. I see nothing in this article about how the shooter could have possibly gotten all that firepower and equipment up to his hotel room on the 30th floor without anyone noticing. Nothing about how he could have possibly carried off the shootings of all those people all by himself. Nothing about whether there was any significance to the fact that foreign nationals owned several floors of the hotel above the shooting. And last but not least, nothing at all confirming the shooter's motive. Now, why is it that you don't trust the FBI again? Speaking of the FBI and mass shootings, they still won't release the manifesto of the woman who murdered six people, three adults and three nine-year-old children, at the Christian school in Nashville, 
the Covenant Christian School back in March of this year. And coming up, I want to tell you exactly what Professor Jonathan Turley is saying about this on his website because this is very troubling. And we need to get to the bottom of this. That's coming right up. You know, the world is going crazy with supply chain issues, record-setting inflation, and sky-high gas prices. Woke corporations stand against everything we believe in. The big box stores were allowed to stay open all during the pandemic, while so many little guys, small business owners, regular people were forced to close. Wealthiest people on earth became better off while mom and pop businesses suffered. What can we do about all this? How can our voices be heard? Well, we can make a difference by voting with our dollars. Why continue shopping at big box stores if you can get the items you need from a family-owned company? Buy only USA. These products include fresh American-raised beef, raised in the Montana mountains near Yellowstone, This beef is known as never, ever. Never has the animal ever been exposed to antibiotics, hormones, or vaccines. This prime or high-choice beef is shipped directly to your door. Pricing and availability is exclusive only to our members and isn't shipped anywhere else in the world. Now, finally, we can shop factory direct at a family-owned, made-in-America manufacturer. Americans are walking away from the big box conglomerates by only USA. One of the best ways to get around this crazy inflation is to shop with family-owned companies that put their customers first rather than shareholders and corporate executives. A lot of Patriot influencers have come on board. I'm inviting you to join with fellow Patriots to cut off the cash flow of the big woke corporations that are trying to destroy our country. We're done with the woke globalist operation against humanity. Each of us can take market share away from these big businesses that have enjoyed unfair advantages. We can choose to help each other by shopping family-owned, made in America. Join with over 2 million monthly shoppers that have already made the switch. Let's start voting with our dollars to make sure our purchases are supporting companies that promote freedom. This company is dedicated to offering family-owned alternatives for items we buy on a regular basis. Email us at buyonlyusa at proton.me, and I'll have one of my guys contact you. Buyonlyusa at proton.me. Now, our friend Mike Lindell has a passion to help everybody get the best sleep of your life, and he's done it again, introducing MyPillow 2.0. MyPillow 2.0 has a brand-new temperature-regulating technology that keeps you comfortable throughout the night. MyPillow 2.0's new fabric dissipates heat and humidity to create a cooling sensation to maintain a cooler surface temperature. This new fabric technology helps regulate your body temperature through the night by creating a lower surface temperature for a more restful night's sleep. You know, your core body temperature plays a big role in how well you sleep. MyPillow 2.0 was developed to provide a cool surface. It's engineered for comfort. MyPillow 2.0 is available in four loft levels, machine washable and dryable, and there's a 10-year warranty, 60-day money-back guarantee. 
as a special introductory offer for my listeners. When you buy your new MyPillow 2.0, you get a second one free just by using promo code DWS. Mike also created the best bed sheets ever. They look great and they feel great, which means an even better night's sleep for me, which is crucial for my busy schedule. My wife and I just love sleeping on our Giza Dream sheets. Right now, buy a set of Giza Dream sheets for just $29.98 by using promo code DWS. MyPillow also has blankets in a variety of sizes, colors, and styles like plush, waffle, or gossamer. Get huge discounts on blankets, duvets, quilts, and down comforters just by using the promo code DWS. Now, I'm wearing my new My Slippers moccasins. I had no idea slippers could feel this good. Right now, save big on My Slippers, slip-ons, and moccasins. Close that sale price at just $25 by using promo code DWS. Not only that, but Mike is having the biggest closeout sale ever on his sandals for just $19.98. What makes My Slippers different is Mike's exclusive Four-layer design that you're not going to find in any other slippers. My slippers' patented layers make them ultra-comfortable, extremely durable, and they help reduce stress on your feet. Wear them anytime, anywhere. Just use promo code DWS for huge discounts. And remember that DWS does not stand for washed-up Democrat politician Debbie Wasserman Schultz. No, no. It stands for Doc Washburn Show. MyPillow.com. Quantities are extremely limited at these amazing prices. So please order now. Just use promo code DWS. Now, the great Ronald Reagan once said, Inflation is as violent as a mugger, as frightening as an armed robber, and as deadly as a hitman. Have you thought about the benefits of investing in precious metals? Here are five profound benefits. Number one, investing in precious metals is a hedge against inflation. Number two, It's a great way to diversify your portfolio. Number three, asset liquidity. Number four, precious metals tend to be a store of value. That means precious metals are an asset, commodity, or currency that maintain their value without depreciating over the long haul. And last but not least, number five, precious metals can be a hedge against geopolitical uncertainty and the struggling U.S. dollar. So we're honored to join forces with Beverly Hills Precious Metals and its owner, Andrew Sorcini. Andrew has been involved in gold and silver for over 40 years. Andrew Sorcini and his team at Beverly Hills Precious Metals know the gold and silver business inside and out. After many years in the markets and collecting precious metals privately, Andrew opened Beverly Hills Precious Metals in 2010 to bring precious metals to the homes of everyday American citizens. We found out about Andrew Sorcini and Beverly Hills Precious Metals from General Mike Flynn, and we're sure glad we did. Andrew is a frequent guest on conservative podcasts. Beverly Hills Precious Metals is our gold buyer of choice. To learn more about Andrew and his team, go to bh-pm.com. The BH stands for Beverly Hills. The PM stands for Precious Metals. bh-pm.com. If you can't remember that, just Google Beverly Hills Precious Metals. No matter what search engine you use, it's the first thing that comes up. Make sure you ask about make sure you ask about the General Mike Flynn silver coin and let them know Doc Washburn sent you. We're honored to be able to tell you about Beverly Hills Precious Metals in an effort to help you in your attempts to protect your family's finances, wealth, and investment. 
bh-pm.com or Google Beverly Hills Precious Metals and tell them Doc Washburn sent you. All right, let's take a look at Professor Jonathan Turley's latest over jonathanturley.org. The article is entitled, National Police Association and Other Groups Sue to Obtain Audrey Hale Manifesto. And here's what he says. In March, Audrey Hale shocked the nation by opening fire at the Covenant School in Nashville, Tennessee. The police soon acknowledged that they had a manifesto from Hale on why she took this inexplicable and horrific action. We all then waited for the release of the manifesto. We are still waiting. It is not uncommon for there to be a delay in the release of information in a major crime pending investigation. What was weird is that the police quickly confirmed that Hale acted alone and Hale was dead. There is no prosecution that will occur in this case. Yet it is May, and the authorities are still refusing to release the manifesto, and they will not fully explain why. Now the National Police Association and other groups are suing to make the writings and other materials of mass shooter Audrey Hale public. There were 20 journals, five laptops, a suicide note, yearbooks, cell phones, and various notes written by 28-year-old Hale that were seized from the house she shared with her parents. There have been press reports that the authorities consider the manifesto to be astronomically dangerous. Now, there is a link from that phrase, astronomically dangerous, to an article from the New York Post. So don't forget about that because I'm going to come back to it. Professor Turley continues, they may be unsettling and even dangerous, but the question is the right of the authorities to keep such evidence from the public and the press. The government can always declare information to be too dangerous to release for a variety of reasons. However, we have a system that defaults to disclosures and public access. The Tennessee Public Records Act governs records created by any governmental entity of Tennessee, including the police department. That law covers all records regardless of physical form or characteristic, made or received pursuant to law or ordinance, or in connection with the transaction of official business by any governmental entity. Note the verb received. That would include this evidence. Furthermore, made would include emails addressing why authorities decided to withhold the documents. If these are public records, they must be open for personal inspection by any citizen of this state, and custodians cannot refuse access unless otherwise provided by state law. There is an exception under Rule 16A2 of the Tennessee Rules of Criminal Procedure for ongoing investigations or prosecutions. But this case is clearly not active in the sense of any additional charges. Hale is dead. The law does not contemplate that the government can simply declare that a case is forever pending as a way to avoid disclosures. 
I do not know what is in the manifesto or why it is so unnerving for authorities. However, what is clearly dangerous is for officials to flout the law and withhold information from the press and the public. Okay, now that is Professor Jonathan Turley over jonathanturley.org, article from May 5th, just last Friday, entitled National Police Association and Other Groups Sue to Obtain Audrey Hale Manifesto. Now let me go to that New York Post article that he links to, entitled Audrey Hale Manifesto, A Blueprint of Total Destruction, Say Politicians Who Claim FBI Is Stalling Its Release. This is from April 20th. Nashville shooter Audrey Hale's manifesto is a blueprint on total destruction, which the FBI are stalling releasing according to local politicians who describe its contents as astronomically dangerous. To whom, though? But I digress. Almost a month after Audrey Hale, who identified as transgender, killed six at the city's Covenant Elementary School before being shot by police authorities, have yet to release a motive or any of the writings seized from her home despite growing pressure. Republican Representative Tim Burchett of Tennessee told the New York Post he knew the FBI was behind the delay, saying the news was disappointing and calling for documents to be released to grieving loved ones as well as members of Congress. He added the manifesto could maybe tell us a little bit about what's going on inside of her head. I think that would answer a lot of questions. And they repeat here what Jonathan Turley said. 20 journals, 5 laptops, a suicide note, and various other notes written by Audrey Hill were seized from the house she shared with her parents as well as two memoirs five Covenant School yearbooks, and seven cell phones, according to the search warrant. Now then, speaking of these other politicians, Metro Nashville Council member Courtney Johnson confirmed to the New York Post the FBI has already ruled the manifesto would not be released anytime soon. When reached by phone, Council member Courtney Johnson said, What I was told is her manifesto was a blueprint on total destruction and it was so detailed at the level of what she had planned. That document in the wrong person's hands would be astronomically dangerous. Johnson said parts of Hale's writings would eventually come out but added she feels the vast overwhelming majority of it presented too much of a danger to the public. She added, I personally don't want to know the depths to which her psychosis reached when I'm told by a high-ranking official at Metro Nashville PD that it keeps him up at night, I'm going to defer to that person in that agency that I don't need to read that. Well, now, wait a minute now. Wait a minute. Wait just a second. I'll bet you if I had to guess that this Metro Nashville council member Courtney Johnson. I'll bet this person's a Democrat. What if they don't want to release it because it will reflect poorly on transgenders 
What if, oh, it's nonpartisan. Okay. So it's nonpartisan, so they don't want you to know. See, the city I live in, Little Rock, they have uh, municipal elections that are supposed to be nonpartisan. And yet, the, everybody knows the mayor of Little Rock is a, is a liberal Democrat. Know what I'm saying? Everybody knows it. So I just want to bet that if she doesn't want it coming out, I bet I know why she doesn't want it coming out. Anyway, let's continue. The two agencies handling the investigation, Metro Nashville Police Department and the FBI, each deferred the New York Post to the other agency when contacted. Although Metro Metro Nashville Police Department is leading the investigation, spokesperson Don Aaron said material related to Audrey Hale is still under analysis by the FBI. Tennessee Bureau of Investigation Director David Rausch described the writings he had seen during a meeting with the Tennessee Sheriff's Association, reportedly saying, the documents that we have, and I have viewed those, you know, one is specifically a plan and the other is some journal-type rantings. Former police officer turned author and adjunct professor at John Jay College of Criminal Justice, Joseph Gia Cologne, said the public has a right to know what's in the manifesto, even if it's heavily redacted, but believes authorities are worried about the effect releasing it could have. He said, I think what the FBI is really concerned here with, and I think law enforcement, is that if there is something in there that is truly damaging for the transgender community, I think they are hesitant to do it because they are afraid of a violent backlash against that protected class of people. Oh, yeah, just like uh, whenever there is a Muslim jihad attack on the U.S., and immediately, immediately, the media is talking about, oh, backlash against Muslims, oh, which never happens. Never happens. New York Post continues, however, Gia Cologne also warned if authorities did release a heavily redacted version of the manifesto, you run the risk of letting speculation run the day. Well, that's what's happening right now. By the way, Audrey Hale unleashed a hail of 152 bullets, no pun intended, during her 14-minute killing spree, killing nine-year-olds Evelyn Dekaus, Hallie Scruggs, and William Kinney, as well as school janitor Mike Hill, substitute teacher Cynthia Peake, and headmistress Catherine Kuntz, who reportedly ran toward the shooter to try to protect the school. Rasmussen reports surveyed 971 people in the aftermath and found that 68% believed Audrey Hale's alleged manifesto should be released. U.S. Representative Andy Ogles from Tennessee, Republican, said if the writings are not ultimately released, then we need to investigate why. Republican U.S. Rep. Walter Hudson, Minnesota, has also pushed for their release. He recalled to the New York Post conversations with citizens who have expressed increasing distrust with the FBI and with government agencies generally. 
He said, one of the greatest threats to democracy, or as I would say, threats to the constitutional republic, is the erosion of trust in institutions. The FBI is one of those institutions. He added he thinks public trust in the intelligence agency has wavered. He added, if you're going to wield power in a free country, then you have a responsibility to maintain the public's trust in that power, and the FBI needs to figure out how to do that. Boy, don't they. Now, speaking of which, over the Federalist, they have an article entitled, Yes, the Trans Movement is Coming for Your Kids. This is from May 3rd, 2023, by John Daniel Davidson. This one's going to be kind of rough. He says, The trans movement's disturbing obsession with children, the all-ages drag shows, the pornographic books in school libraries, the push to allow the castration and sterilization of minors, isn't just an aggressive tactic to prove that transgender people are safe around kids or to groom kids into becoming trans. It's part of a broader strategy to normalize pedophilia. I told you it was going to be rough. That strategy is becoming more explicit every day. Recently, a group of Democrat legislators in Minnesota, led by the state's first transgender lawmaker, introduced a bill that would have removed language in Minnesota's Human Rights Act that explicitly says pedophilia is not a sexual orientation as defined by state statute. By removing that language, the bill would have opened the door to widening the definition of sexual orientation to include pedophilia as a protected class alongside other minorities. Ultimately, the effort failed. And the Democrat-controlled state house was persuaded by a Republican lawmaker to amend the so-called Take Pride Act, HF 1655, to clarify that pedophilia is not a protected class under this chapter. But the push by transgender activists to change this language is instructive because it tells you exactly what the movement is all about and where it's headed. Minnesota's Human Rights Act which prohibits discrimination based on sexual orientation, already defines the term so broadly as to be largely meaningless. According to Minnesota law, sexual orientation is having, or being perceived as having, an emotional, physical, or sexual attachment to another person without regard to the sex of that person, or having or being perceived as having an orientation for such attachment or having, or being perceived as having, a self-image or identity not traditionally associated with one's biological maleness or femaleness. Okay, everybody got that? In Minnesota, according to state statute, sexual orientation can mean almost anything. Perhaps because of this capacious definition, the law included this caveat Sexual orientation does not include a physical or sexual attachment to children by an adult. That's the language these Democrat lawmakers wanted to remove. The so-called Take Pride Act was introduced earlier this year by State Representative Lee Fink, a man who began presenting as a woman 
in 2017 and since taking office earlier this year, has focused on making Minnesota a sanctuary state for the transing of children. Now, what kind of freaks would elect a freak like that? I guess Democrats in Minnesota, right? Specifically, he has pushed legislation that ensures that minors from across the country can get experimental and irreversible surgeries in Minnesota, like vaginoplasty, in which the penis is removed and a neo-vagina is constructed from colon tissue, or phalloplasty, in which a non-functioning so-called penis is made by carving flesh from the forearm of the girl. This is disgusting. These things have been Lee Fink's priority, along with removing clarifying language that excludes pedophilia from the state's impossibly vague definition of sexual orientation and adding a separate definition of gender identity to the Human Rights Act that can only be described as Gnostic. It reads, again quoting, Gender identity means a person's inherent sense of being a man, woman, both, or neither. A person's gender identity may or may not correspond to their assigned sex at birth or to their primary or secondary sex characteristics. A person's gender identity is not necessarily visible to others, unquote. Asked why he wanted to remove language that specifically excludes pedophilia, As a sexual orientation, Lee Fink tried to dodge the question, telling Fox News only that the language in question incorrectly ties pedophilia to a person's sexual orientation and that nothing in his bill changes or weakens any crimes against children or the state's ability to prosecute those who break the law. In a statement, Republican House Minority Leader Lisa DeMuth said the attempt to strike the language about pedophilia was disturbing and inexplicable. While it's certainly disturbing, it's not inexplicable. It's the predictable consequence of the moral relativism that has come to define our age, what the theologian David Bentley Hart has aptly called the absolute liberty of personal volition, whereby individual desire and freedom of choice are seen to be the highest good untethered to any objective notion of the good, much less any objective notion of God himself. The transgender movement is animated by precisely this ideology, which enshrines personal volition and autonomy as the highest good, indeed as the only good. Lee Fink and Minnesota Democrats disingenuously claimed they were just trying to clean up the language of the state's Human Rights Act which they claimed inappropriately tied pedophilia to sexual orientation. Setting aside that astounding bit of goalpost shifting, the unavoidable truth is that their efforts fit with a broader pattern on the left of sexualizing children and normalizing pedophilia as merely expressions of personal volition. Children, so the thinking goes, have a right to express their gender identity And teachers, for example, have a duty to help them even if it means deceiving parents. And everyone, they claim, has a right to embrace without apology their unchosen sexual orientation even if our societal norms haven't yet evolved enough to recognize the legitimacy legitimacy of adult-child sexual attraction. In the long-ago time of 2019, 
Stella Morabito explained in thefederalist.com the push to normalize pedophilia and sexualize childhood. She wrote, We cannot dismiss the campaign to legalize pedophilia as fringy stuff that will get nowhere. It's real, and it's here, and it's gaining strength. It's a very logical outgrowth of the nihilism inherent in the sexual revolution. If that sounded like a stretch four years ago, it's a straightforward statement of fact today. Stella Morbido simply had the good sense to see what had been happening for years and take the sexual revolutionaries at their word. Much of it began, as such things often do, in academia, with the substitution of the phrase minor attracted person for pedophile, a construction that began appearing in academic books and peer-reviewed papers as a way to destigmatize pedophilia and present it as an unchosen sexual orientation. And they link, they, where it says academic books, there's a link. Where it says peer-reviewed papers, there's a link. This effort has been underway for some time now. As far back as 2013, the American Psychiatric Association briefly reclassified pedophilia as a sexual orientation in its fifth edition of the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, or DSM-5. Amid an understandable outcry, the American Psychiatric Association claimed it was an error and hastily issued a correction, changing the term sexual orientation to sexual interest. Nevertheless, the DSM-5 still makes a distinction between pedophilia as a paraphilia, a desire not acted upon, versus pedophilia as a pedophilic Disorder, which ordinary people would call child molestation or sexual assault. Then came the brave TED Talks, arguing that pedophilia should be treated as an unchosen sexual orientation. And they linked to the YouTube video, along with articles in outlets such as Salon, Vice, and New York Magazine that attempted to mainstream the idea of the virtuous pedophile that there's nothing wrong with being sexually attracted to children as long as one doesn't act on it. Meanwhile, the academic papers kept rolling in, and another link there, arguing in ever more explicit terms that there are no legitimate ethical or moral objections to adult child sex. Before long, so-called drag kids broke into the mainstream with a TV show on the Discovery Plus channel called Generation Drag, and the regular appearance of fawning articles in outlets like NBC News about drag kids, quote, slaying the runway one fierce look at a time, unquote. Good Morning America featured child drag queens dancing suggestively for audiences of grinning dupes, oh, like Michael Strahan, yeah, I remember that, smug in their belief that tolerating and affirming the blatant sexualization of children marked them out as enlightened and humane. These would be the same people who would appear at drag brunches all over the country in the years to come, kids in tow, nodding and clapping along to the sexually explicit dance routines of adult men in drag. They are often the same people who riotously descended on state capitals in Texas, Montana, and Tennessee in recent weeks to protest bills that would ban the castration and mutilation of minors in the name of so-called gender-affirming care. These people have shown themselves willing to mob up and disrupt legislative proceedings 
in the name of transing youth, even willing in some cases to tussle with police and get arrested. They seem to believe what they say they believe. Maybe we should take them at their word. And if we take them at their word, then we should also take their philosophy and its imperatives seriously. Simply put, the logic of the trans movement leads inexorably to a justification of pedophilia. If a minor can so completely know his gender identity that he is able to consent to major irreversible surgeries and treatments, castration and genital mutilation and sterilization, then the horizon of what he can consent to opens up considerably. Indeed, it has no limits. If he chooses to have sex with an adult, who are we to say that's wrong, to deny him the ability to live as his most authentic self? That's where all this is going. And that's what was behind the push to remove the pedophile language from the statute in the state of Minnesota. To deny that at this late hour is to indulge in willful self-delusion. The situation is actually as bad as it seems, and the ascendant transgender movement really is coming for our children. Once we accept that reality, we can begin to think clearly about what we should do about it. That is John Daniel Davidson, senior editor over The Federalist, article entitled, Yes, the Trans Movement is Coming for Your Kids. And so, it's about that time. Hit it, Brian. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. It's the Doc Washburn Show Tweet of the Day. Brought to you by Red River Auto. Red River Auto is a big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in your freedom, including your freedom to buy the car, truck, van, or SUV of your choice the way you want to online and have it delivered to your front door anywhere in the continental USA. Okay, today's tweet of the day is from the Real Mac Report. It is a clip from Arizona Senator Kirsten Cinema, who was elected as a Democrat to the U.S. Senate from Arizona, but now calls herself an independent. And she is concerned about the growing crisis at our southern border. Now, the first voice you will hear is that of Margaret Brennan, host of CBS's Face the Nation program. And then you will hear U.S. Senator Kirsten Sinema. You said the administration failed to create a workable plan to process migrants after May 11th, Title 42. They would say they've got the troop deployment of 1500s, processing centers, a phone app, expansion of legal migration, um, regulation that will bar migrants from asylum if they did not first seek asylum in a third country. Do you support any of what the administration has done? Well, these steps, which all have been announced in the past week or so, are helpful. These are very helpful. Having 1,500 troops along the um, U.S.-Mexico border is helpful. It is a border of over 2,000 miles, though. So 1,500 troops isn't going to get the job done. Um, That's just the reality. We also are very concerned that all of this is happening in the week or so before the rollout. Just today, I was on the phone with a sheriff of Cochise County. He has gotten no information from the Department of Homeland Security or the federal government about what the flow is going to look like, about what they can expect for processing in terms of how long it takes to process migrants. He's gotten no information, neither have I, about how many buses there will be available to transport migrants. Now, he's gotten the information he does have from me, because I call him every few days, but he's not gotten that information from the Department of Homeland Security. And Margaret, what's, what's unfortunate 
is that I'm asking for that information and I'm not getting it. And so either the, either the administration has that information and they're choosing not to share it, which is a problem mm-hmm. since we're the ones who are going to deal with the crisis, or they, ha- or they don't have it. And that's even more concerning because how do you prepare for an inflow of migrants when you don't know what you're going to expect? And that hasn't been shared with the governor? It has not been shared with the governor. I spoke with the governor yesterday. Wow. It has not been shared. So we do not have this information. Um, there are three nonprofit organizations in Arizona that provide incredible, incredible assistance to our border communities. One is in Yuma, one is in Tucson, one is in Phoenix. They don't have this information. And they're the ones who are responsible for accepting the migrants mm-hmm. after they're released from custody. So while it's wonderful that the administration is announcing things like a 1,500 troop deployment and these new processing centers, which will not be operational by next Friday, those are good things. Those are aspirational. Mm-hmm. That's not the same as operational. Rent the buses. Hire the drivers. Build the soft-sided facilities so that we can process individuals. We need more holding capacity. I mean, let's be realistic here. And that's what's not – we're not prepared for that. And that's frustrating, Margaret. And the reason why it's frustrating is because I know – that means that the sheriffs in our southern border are going to be bearing the brunt of it. And our men and women of Border Patrol will be working even longer shifts. Mm-hmm. Have you talked to the White House directly about this? Yes, I have. What's the response? It has not been adequate. Do you care to elaborate? I do not. <laughs> <laughs> um, because what you're laying out is a level of crisis concern. So Yes, that's correct. They were... That is what I have been doing. I've been raising the alarm. Because they return your calls. Oh, yes, yes. And just not share information? Just not. Right, that's correct. This is a problem. Mm -hmm. We've had two years to prepare for this. Do you think that's personal? No. No, not at all. I don't think it's personal. I think that there's a system in Washington, D.C. that is deeply disconnected from the real lives and experiences of border communities and the migrants who seek to come to this country. But what I would like, Margaret, is for them to learn. That's not going to happen. She knows that's not going to happen. This is all intentional. I'm seeing estimates that with the end of the Trump era, Title 42, on Thursday, May 11th, we can expect an immediate avalanche of at least 700,000 illegal immigrants flooding our southern border. Now, you remember when Barack Obama said he was going to fundamentally transform our country back in 2008? Well, he meant it. I'm concerned that due to the upcoming deluge of people with no plan on what to do with them, it's entirely possible that we soon may not recognize our country. Pray for our country, y'all. Wise man once told me, work like everything depends on you, pray like everything depends on God. You've been listening to episode 380 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show. The views and opinions expressed on the Doc Washburn Show do not necessarily reflect those of our advertisers, but they love us and we love them. If you have any questions for us, email us at contact at docwashburnshow.com. Today's program has been produced by Tim Terrible, directed by Mick Messy. This has been a terribly messy production. Portions of today's show will be taken overseas and dropped. If you'd like a transcript of today's episode of the all-new Doc Washburn Show, simply peel the roof off a Rolls-Royce panel truck and send it to Mansur's Computer Solutions, 7th floor of the Ephemeral B. Smoot Building, Whitehall, Arkansas, in care of Sheriff Mansur Sempier X, Senior Vice President, Engineering, 
IT and interoperability for the Doc Washburn Show. Well, that's the way it is. Monday, May 8th, 2023.